In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome to the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Badgers get a, another win, their first back to back wins this season. They beat Maryland 23 to 10 in what conditions uh, could be described as uh, very, very miserable for the people that had to be outside. How, how was the press box, Jesse? Were you, were you all good up there? Yeah, it was nice and warm. Didn't really have to deal with it until after the game. That was uh, not fun. But I love that the announced attendance in the press box was 74,057 people. They may have been the people that paid for tickets, but uh, it was pretty sparse throughout. Yeah. And by the end, it looked like we were watching a football team from – 1989. Yeah, that's honestly that's kind of what I was thinking, and I wanted I wanted to take that picture and tweet it out, and be like, hey, for folks that don't remember what Badger football used to look like before they got good, <laughs> here it is. Um, I don't blame anybody, by the way. I, I I probably would not have even come. There were 20 mile per hour winds, 50 mile an hour gusts. The rain was coming sideways. It was awful out there. There's not a chance. I mean, the only way you could get me to uh, to be there is if you paid me, um, and that's why I showed up. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> respect to the people that came uh, though. I, by the end of it, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know whether I want to respect these people or ask them what the heck is wrong with them for still being here. Uh, you know, it was, when it was 23 to 10 and, but Hey, some people, those were the diehards there. Those are the people that were, that are going to be there no matter what, no matter what happens. And I don't think they are. I mean, there was quite a few parents, I'm sure players that were still there, but and, and family members and friends, but otherwise it was sparsely attended towards the end, sparsely attended in general, the announced attendance, definitely, definitely nowhere close to what it, it was actually there. But uh, the people that did come got to see Wisconsin win, uh, got out to another great start. Uh, that's kind of been a recipe under Jim Leonard, to be to, I mean, to be honest. They're outscoring opponents 80 to 10 in the first half of games in these last four. So it has uh, it, the start was obviously um, significant. I, I'd like to get in, Jesse, into in a few things that we learned from this game. Um, I don't think as I, you know, as I mentioned yesterday to you, I don't think this is a game we're going to look back on and be like, oh, yeah. Remember when they played Maryland in 2022 and there was this there was this great game. It wasn't. Uh, it'll be remembered for the weather. And uh, that's probably it. But there were some performances and some notable things that that did stand out. And I think we have to start with the biggest play of the game, which was the 89 yard run from Isaac Garendo for a touchdown. The the dude's just a home run threat every touch any any time he touches the ball. And that's kind of what I don't know if I learned that, but it was reinforced by what he did. And and obviously kudos to Chimray DK for helping him down the sideline and him being able to stay in balance. But this dude is insane. He's average he's got six career touchdowns, Jesse. He's at those the average of those uh, touchdown runs is forty two point six yards. Like he is absolutely uh electric anytime, potentially electric. Anytime he gets the ball and the fact that he did this after what he's gone through these last few years, injury wise, um, I think it's pretty special, not just for for him, but for his teammates to see it. Yeah, I mean, Chimray DK, as you mentioned, had a great block down the right sideline to help spring him at the end. And Chimray said after the game, that he, he described Isaac as a perfect example of a badger. Obviously, somebody who wanted to be here could have checked out any number of times. He's dealt with a multitude of injuries. That was the biggest question on him for many years during his career that you and I have discussed several times on this show is, can Isaac stay healthy enough to be a key contributor? Well, he's been able to to stay the course, 
And it also can't be easy when you get to this point, you're senior and you've been in the program for a long time and guys are jumping you in line to get all the carries. When Braylon Allen comes in as a freshman, does what he does last year. And obviously Isaac was hurt for most of last season. But I think, as you said, home run threat. He had the 82-yard touchdown run last season against Eastern Michigan, and he had touchdown runs this season of 30 yards against New Mexico State. He had a 54-yarder the last game against Purdue and the big one for 89 yards against Maryland. I think what this shows is this is what Wisconsin absolutely needs at this point of the season. Braylon Allen has been dinged up. Uh, we've seen him go down with the you know, the, the shoulder or the arm injury, and and every game it seems like he's he's getting – pummeled and kind of uh, struggling, I think, at times to get through the game. And he even acknowledged uh, after the game on Saturday that that going into the week or going into the game, he wasn't quite sure or they weren't quite sure as a staff whether he was going to be able to finish it. So that was a big deal for him. But now you've got somebody with Isaac that I think continues to develop trust with the coaching staff. And Al Johnson, who's making these decisions on who goes in during particular moments, has two players that I think he can rely on consistently, which is huge with Ches Malusi out. I think this was the type of game where it was exactly what you needed from Wisconsin. Weather was terrible. You weren't going to be able to pass the ball particularly effectively. Neither team did. So you needed to chew up uh, yardage on the ground. And they had two guys go over 100 yards. Braylon finished with 119 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Isaac had a career high, 114 yards and a touchdown. And this, to me, is, is part of the formula for success here down the stretch because you've got to be able to keep Braylon as fresh as you can. You can't hand him the ball 30, 35 times. You just can't. So this was a great performance by Isaac and a big step for him and I think for the offense in general to get more balance. Well, and that's certainly the other thing that I, I, I learned here is we got a different combination along the offensive line. What was it? The, yes. the seventh, the, was it the seventh time in nine games or was the sixth? I believe so. Okay, seventh time in the last nine games that they've had a different offensive um, line grouping. And I think, I think we learned that this is the best grouping the Badgers have right now. Uh, it was Jack Nelson, who's been uh, missed time earlier this year, well, missed a game at left tackle. You got Tanner Bordellini, who's played a bunch of different spots in line as your left guard. Joe Tipman, the only guy that I think has started every game this year for uh, for Wisconsin along the offensive line. And then they moved Trey Wedding from right tackle down to right guard to replace Michael Fertney. And then you obviously have uh, Riley Mullman moving back into the starting lineup for the first time since the opener. Uh, I think that there, there were at times, and you know this is maybe uh, nitpicking a little bit, but the, I, I felt Graham took some big hits. Now maybe some of that was on him, uh, not getting rid of the ball when he, when he should have. But uh, otherwise, the offensive line, Maryland knew what was coming. Maryland knew that the Wisconsin had to run the ball. The conditions obviously meant that way, but this is just what Wisconsin does in general. When they got Tyler Beach as your uh, jumbo tight end and Hayden Rucci also in the game, they're running the ball at you. And I thought the offensive line, despite knowing what was going to happen, opened up some big holes. I thought it probably could have been more uh, for for Braylon at times. He, you know, we we kind of talked about it last week. I thought he ran, or you know, after the Purdue game, it was more old Braylon, like hitting the hole, getting what you can get a lot of dancing yesterday. And I don't know, maybe that's some of that's injury wise, but either way, the offensive line in general, that group is the best that they have right now in my mind. This is something I'm going to be writing about this week. And I agree completely. That line is to me, a lot of the guys that when they were recruited and signed, if you were a fan, you thought, Oh my God, <laughs> look at the potential here. And I, I completely recognize that 
simply looking at star rankings doesn't always mean very much. Uh, um, you know, Logan Brown, as we know, a five-star player who's not with the program, didn't start until his fourth season and couldn't hold a starting job. But this group, to me, has a chance to be outstanding. And I think that performance against Maryland could be the start of a, a really positive stretch run here for Wisconsin when the Badgers need to play their best football. You mentioned Nelson and Tippman. Those are the two who have generally been staples at those spots. Bordellini started at left guard now for – that's the third start he's had in the last few games with Tyler Beach dealing with injuries, and um, I think Bordellini is just better <laughs> at different spots. And it's kind of funny because he's the only one among the five starters now who wasn't as highly regarded, wasn't a four-star player, was a three-star prospect, and yet he's the most versatile you could put him. You could plug him in anywhere on the line, but I think that right side has a chance to be special for a very long time. Uh, with Trey Wedig at right guard and Riley Mallman at right tackle, Riley obviously took the starting job from Logan out of fall camp, started the first game, and then got hurt. And this was the first time that he had a chance to to start since that opener. And Wedig's now, um, I mean, he started the last five games at right tackle. So there's a lot of versatility there. There's a lot of talent. Obviously, massive human beings who can move bodies. And I think it just bodes well for the future of what Wisconsin has on the offensive line. You know, it's kind of funny. You mentioned the recruiting rankings. I went and looked at it yesterday. Uh, 24-7 has their all-time commits, like the top 25 all-time commits at Wisconsin, just based yeah. on their rating. Yeah. Three, of the, three of those guys uh, are in the top 23 uh, all-time, or I should say the recruiting uh, era's ran era rankings, right? Riley Mallman is 23, Jack Nelson was 15, and Trey Wedig is 12. So... And and behind them currently, <laughs> number thirteen, which is Joe Brunner, and number uh, three, or excuse me, number two is Nolan Rushi. So we all we've always talked about the talent on paper, but we're finally getting to see it on the field uh, with those three older guys. And I put older guys in quotes because they're not really that old: <laughs> the two redshirt sophomores and a redshirt freshman. But st certainly getting it done uh, in a way that uh, I think people had been expecting or hoping for. So the other thing that I learned, Hunter Wooler, oh boy, they've they've, <laughs> they've missed him. They've missed him significantly, and I know, yes. and, and and that's not to take anything away from what Kamoi Latu has done and what John Tortu have done. They've been great, but he gives them a ton of versatility. And so what I think that what I learned, he has a chance to be a star. Uh, playing in his first game since the opener, he had an interception, had some tackles got after the quarterback one time, just missed a sack. But they can use him in so many different ways because he's he's got enough uh, ability to play close to the line. He can play deep. He can run guys down. I mean, the interception came on when they had three safeties on the field. And I, I may, may be using air quotes a little bit too much because you guys can't see them. But I'm using them anyways here. Uh, when I say safety, when in regards to Hunter Wolder, because he was not lined up as a safety. He was lined up as an outside linebacker on the right side of the line looks, looked exactly like any other outside linebacker. And then he uh, faded into pass coverage and, you know, came over and was able to step in front of that pass from uh, Tagovola. It was uh, a thing of beauty. I'll be honest with you. Uh, he just, he's going to be a weapon for Jim Leonard for quite some time here. You could tell by the way that Leonard talks about Hunter, how much he holds him in high regard. Just the fact that, and this is something that, Leonard talked about the, how steady he is. And from the mental side, he had no concerns whatsoever about there being him being too emotional or him not being prepared. He was locked in, even though he hadn't been able to play since the opener. 
And Leonard said he was physical and he's fast and aggressive, tracks the ball well. But Hunter said after the game, that was a special package that Leonard put in specifically to combat a certain personnel look that Maryland ran, where they put Hunter down on the edge at outside linebacker. And Hunter said he'd never done that before, which is almost, I mean, that's even more amazing that this is something that he hadn't done in a game before and yet is able to come up with a play like that. And I wholeheartedly agree. He's got a chance to be really special at safety and he can do a variety of things. I think we knew this coming in there. Look, I know I go back to the star rankings, but they, to me, they are at least a measure of what people believe somebody, somebody's talent level is coming out of high school. And there hadn't been a four-star safety in the state in the online ranking era. That's two plus decades. Obviously Braylon Allen was a four-star player um, was safety for a little bit, but Hunter has had this in him since the day he came in and now he's going to get that opportunity. And I think it helps to change a lot of what they can do in the secondary, obviously, because we saw it. And uh, kudos, major kudos to John Torchio and Kamoe Latu for what they've been able to do early in this season. But having somebody like Hunter come in and help, um, it makes a substantial difference with this this defense. And I'm sure we'll get to it, but the defensive performance was pretty outstanding. I know the weather contributed to Maryland's struggles, but that was an explosive offense. Yeah, I mean, let's get into it right now. They held him to 189 yards, a lot of it coming on that last touchdown drive where uh, it finally looked like uh, Tagovailoa actually wanted to throw the ball uh, down the field a little bit. He looked as comfortable as he had looked all day, was able to move around a little bit, but otherwise did a great job. Season high, five sacks. They shut down the running game for Maryland, who which came into the game averaging about 170 yards, which was exactly the same as Wisconsin coming in. Uh, but and they, and they went over 100 yards, but they averaged just 2.7 yards per carry. Wisconsin over six or was at six. So what they were able to do was the exact opposite of what the Wisconsin offense was able to do. Wisconsin's offense ran the ball, even though they knew it was coming. And Wisconsin's defense stopped the run uh, and uh, never allowed the quarterback any kind of comfort back there until late in the game. I think there may be a, I'm speculating here, but a perception among Badgers fans about Maryland's football program because of the Maryland teams that we've seen play Wisconsin before since the Terps joined the Big Ten. But to me, this was a really good Maryland team. And again, I know that the weather contributed to some of the issues, but just to put into context what the defense was able to do, Maryland had come into that game. The, the Terrapins had scored at least 27 points in 10 consecutive games dating to the end of last season. And Talia Tonga-Vailoa had been averaging 34.2 passing attempts per game, and he'd had a lot of success. He only attempted two passes in the first quarter. Both of them were incompletions, and he only completed 10 to 23 passes for 77 yards. The only touchdown, as you mentioned, was late in the game against the reserves. Again, I know the passing wasn't very good for either team, but I think Wisconsin's defense was able to control, other than that one drive, every facet of what Maryland wanted to do. And one of the things that Keanu Benton said after the game was, for starters, they had two weeks of preparation. Maryland had the same thing because the Terrapins had a bye last week as well. But that helped because they were able to watch a lot of film. And Keanu said he felt like he had a pretty good grasp on what was going to be coming, the reads that the offensive linemen had, whether they were going to run or pass. And so that goes back to just the preparation and the study. And it was reflected in the performance. Um, I mean, 10 points for a Maryland team that came in ranking third in the Big Ten, averaging 34 points a game. With that group getting five sacks from four different players, really, really big-time performance from the defense. It was, and certainly Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton are the biggest part of that, right? I mean, I maybe not the biggest part of it, but 
what you've been, what, what a healthy Keanu Benton or not even a healthy Keanu Benton, but a guy that is not limping off the field every three seconds um, because of the knee injury. And I'm not, that's not a shot at him. He was playing hurt, still playing well, getting a curve back two more sacks. I, they were a different team. I shouldn't maybe not with Herbig. I mean, Herbig is obviously if they're trying to get past, if they're trying to get some turn on the quarterback, obviously him being on the field is so significant. And he's actually pretty good against a run too. But the difference when Keanu Benton's on the field and when he's not right now is pretty obvious. Well, he's just, yeah, he can, because he can dominate up front and, and obviously with the nose guard, the stats don't always show up, but he was effective early. He had a sack pretty early in the game. Fourth down. It changes things for definitely it changes what Wisconsin can do up front. And Herbig's just been, I mean, outstanding. He's got eight sacks now. And we'd mentioned before that there were games where the teams were game planning specifically to make sure that he wasn't going to be as effective, but he continues to make plays. And there's a guy that is to me feels pretty obvious that uh, he's, he's on his way to the NFL after this season, because it just feels, it feels like he's on that trajectory still. It's, it's kind of funny. You mentioned that teams have taken and they have, they've, they've obviously made sure to keep him on their radar, but one of those sacks came when he didn't get blocked yesterday. And so I'm like, Maryland, that's, that's, that's certainly a choice. It's not, that's on you. That's, that's, that's certainly a choice and it's not a good one. He's, I mean, we, we heard from Jim Leonard after the game, how, how big of a game wrecker Nick, uh, excuse me, uh, Keanu Benton can be. And uh, I completely agree. If you don't have a plan for him on every single play and making sure that you take care of him, he's going to blow things up. And he wasn't the only one. Um, you know, James Thompson Jr. had a couple and or uh, some nice plays in the backfield and even, you know, Rodas Johnson as well. But Keanu Benton's where it starts and he's been fantastic. And they didn't have Geo Pias behind him. So I feel like and you'll have you can tell me this because you actually have this snaps for the for the defensive players and for in general from pro football focus, but it felt like he played more snaps yesterday than he had previously because they didn't have Gio Piaz to throw in there. Now they played obviously uh, a, a lot of nickel. They didn't play a ton of base, but with no Gio Piaz, they didn't put Kurt Neal in till later in the game. When I, I don't want to say it was out of reach, but it was, you know, a three score game. So um, it, it felt like he was able to play a little bit more yesterday. Well, Zach, I am looking at the pro football focus numbers. Um, just for the snap counts on Keanu. And according to these numbers, he played 37 snaps, defensive snaps against Maryland. Um, He's played more in other games. I think it's probably, it's hard to compare always because different offenses are going to run a different number of plays, but it looks like he played 32 against Purdue. And he's had a couple games where he played 42 and 43, but you could, you could say accurately that these, that that was the third most snaps that he has played in a game this season. So how about that? That's that's good. I would love to know, and and maybe now that I've been called out, I will ha- or not called out, uh, been proven wrong. I will have to go back and see how many of those snaps came before the fourth quarter because I feel like we didn't see him a ton in the fourth quarter. I don't I don't think they break them down by quarters, do they? Uh, I don't. Think... <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. All right. So. All right. So now that's going to be uh, my afternoon here on a Sunday going and looking that up. All right. Cool. Uh, but yeah, no, I. it's clear when he's on the field, uh, he makes a difference. And um, when he's healthy and he looked healthier yesterday, uh, that's uh, certainly an issue f- uh, for, for everybody. Uh, the one other thing that happened yesterday, Chase Wolf got on the field. I shouldn't say it. let's. There's two quarterback things you need to take care of. Let's take yes. care of Chase Wolf here first. 
Uh, Chase Wolf got on the field. Graham Mertz got hurt, was down. They forced him to come off for a play. And so Chase Wolf on the field for the first time this season. And it's good to have him back. I mean, I get I say it's good to have him back. I and mean, it's not like they've missed him. Graham Mertz has pretty much played uh, as much as they needed to. But I think it's good to keep Miles Burkett's redshirt. If you're going to have to, if you're going to be forced to use somebody, uh, use another quarterback, um, it's it's good to potentially keep his red shirt. But he came back and uh, did you get a chance to talk to him yesterday? I did. Yeah, I actually got him one on one after uh, his kind of media scrum. OK, what did uh, he have to say? Well, so the injury, he, so he tore the meniscus that was in preseason practice. And he said the doctors uh, initially told him that he could return in two to four months. And obviously, that's a really tough spot to be in because it's late August. And if it's the back end of that, you're going to miss the entire season. But apparently, from what doctors said, if it was like athletes because of the blood flow in the knee and just in general, they're able to rehab and progress a little bit quicker. Because from what Chase said, that most people, the, the prognosis would have been four to six months. And about four weeks in, it became clear that he was going to have a chance. And the doctor targeted the Maryland game for weeks. So he Chase basically spent a month targeting coming back for the Maryland game, knowing that they had a bye. Um and for him, you know, it's an interesting career that he's had. He's a fifth-year senior. He's never been the guy here, but he still plays a very important role with this team. And he said he felt like he got into the huddle during practice, and apparently they didn't realize that it was Chase until he started talking. And he said he felt like it gave the entire group a spark initially. And that's his goal is he wants to help this team win. So I think the thing – one of my takeaways from him, and I, I didn't put this in the – the recap that I had, but missing most of the season when you also potentially got an extra year with the, the COVID year, um, I asked him about it and, and uh, he's not sure necessarily what he's going to do. Now, I don't know whether the coaching staff may say we want to bring in two new quarterbacks and we just want to have a set number on scholarship. Um, but if things had played out differently and he had been healthy all season, I think this, he said he was leaning toward this being his last year. And now he's going to have to talk to people about it in consideration again i don't know what it means but there's three scholarship courts now deacon hill's gone and i do think it's it's because what if chase wasn't healthy and miles burkett goes in for a single snap and that's his third game played and then something happens and you have a jack cone type situation his first year when he winds up playing five games and and isn't able to use a red shirt so it's important for the future um and i just think it's important for chase and the program in general to have another reliable guy that you can put in if the situation calls for it i mean there it sounds like they're going to get a commit in the 2023 class, but uh, it, it, right. So I, I mean, it, it looks feels that way. way to me. It feels that yeah. way to me with the kid uh, from Colorado. Right. So yeah, it, the it, Cola it crew. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels that way. So, but it, uh, there's no, there's no reason. I mean, if he wants to come back, which I feel like Wisconsin welcome back with open arms, just because it gives you, it, it gives you a veteran there to go along with, with miles Burkett and uh, obviously Graham Mertz, but would you agree with that? They're, they would obviously take him back and welcome him back with open arms. You know, I would think so. The alternative, and this is, I think, what Wisconsin's plan would be, is if if he doesn't, you've got two scholarship quarterbacks. You got to get somebody who is a late bloomer in the twenty twenty three class, which is feels as though again Wisconsin may be on track for that. And then you got to get someone from the transfer portal. Um, and you may still do that. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know whether they would want five scholarship quarterbacks and and how that would work. But I. I think Chase has a lot of respect from this group, and I think he adds value to the quarterback room. Again, uh, we're not there yet, and he'll have to make a decision, and he'll have to talk with his family and with the coaching staff and, and see what happens. Um, 
which is another question mark in terms of what's going to happen with the staff. But I tend to agree. We'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So that was the one quarterback thing. The other quarterback thing we need to take care of is Graham Mertz. Um, Because if you were to not watch that game, and if you were had not seen what the weather was like, and you went and looked at the box score, you would say Graham Mertz had the worst game a Wisconsin quarterback has ever had. <laughs> I mean, look at the I mean the numbers the numbers are horrendous, right? They are Tanner horrendous. McAvoy started against five LSU. For, am I am I five mistaken? for twenty four? Five for twenty four that day, right? What was Graham yesterday? Five for eighteen, seventy seven yards, no touchdowns, which is the first time that's happened this season, but no interceptions. Right, exactly. He didn't turn the ball over. So uh, this was offered up when I asked for questions for Twitter or Twitter questions, but I feel like it's also worthwhile to deliver here uh, from CT Badger. It's a it's a PSA, a preemptive okay. strike. He says this. Please share this PSA, a preemptive strike against the Mertz's trash crowd. The Badgers outscored Ohio State 23-21. CJ Stroud 10 for 26, 76 yards, 2.6 yards per uh, attempt. Mertz. Five for 18, 77 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt. Similar weather conditions, mic drop. And they were. I mean, the, the conditions down in Evanston, it, it looked, I'll be honest, it looked a little bit worse down in Evanston with some of the, I mean, I saw someone kick a field goal and got caught up and just absolutely went the other way. But, I mean, it's true. The weather at those two games were horrendous. And so I have, I'm not going to sit here and say that that is a horrible game for Graham Mertz. He didn't turn the ball over. You can't say the same for uh, Tagovailoa, and you. So, for me personally, I uh, totally agree. It's you shouldn't take issue with Graham Mertz unless unless you didn't watch it. And I think you're kind of telling on yourself if if they if you say Graham Mertz was horrible, you're telling on yourself that you didn't actually watch the game. Yeah, I consider this one a wash. They they we've already discussed it. The passing conditions were terrible. Honestly, there was only one portion of the game where it was plausible to have some success passing to me. It was the third quarter. The rains debated for a little bit, but they ran the ball 46 times, 40 plus times. I mean, I guess I won't include the kneel downs, but they did what they had to do. And this was not a game that was ever going to be conducive to Wisconsin having a lot of success through the air. The only thing I can get behind everything that was said in that PSA, other than uh, any, (laughs) other than that, the Badgers outscored the Buckeyes 23, 21, which is true. Other than I, Ohio State beat Wisconsin 52-21, so in no way can I make a comparison uh, in that regard. But I understand what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I I don't take any issue with, with Graham Mertz uh, yesterday at all, and, and we'll see. I mean, again, he's got a, a extremely, extremely tough task coming up next week. The uh, If you want to judge him on anything, I guess we'll see what the weather looks like before we start doing that, but... If you want to judge him on anything, judge him on what he's going to look like against a Iowa defense that is among the best in the country. I mean, that's that's what it is, and um, we'll see how far he has come. We'll see how far this offense has come when they have to face Iowa next week. And uh, we'll get into the Big Ten West potential for Wisconsin winning it. We'll get into that in a little bit. But Jim Leonard. Let's I do know it. That, Jimmy I Cooks, know, baby. I know that you spent uh, – one of your five things on Jim Leonard in your piece saying it's becoming harder and more difficult to say that this isn't his, that it, that anybody else could get this job. And I, I think that's how a lot of people have felt throughout this entire process. But as Wisconsin continues to win with the way Wisconsin continues to play, 
I, I know we have to talk about this every single week because it's what a, a lot of people are uh, interested in. Nothing's changed for me, though. He needs, I mean, he should be the head coach. He's going to be the next head coach. It's just a matter of when, not if for me. We do have to talk about this every week, but frankly, we should talk about it every single week because it is the biggest storyline with this Wisconsin football program right now, even if it seems obvious to you and I and perhaps a lot of Badgers fans that Jim Leonard has earned the right to have this job. Um, And I think earn is important here because it's very easy to say, you know, Chris McIntosh, and I agree with this part, he wouldn't have fired Paul Christ if Jim Leonard wasn't on staff because Leonard had a, a lot of success as an assistant and was in position to become the next head coach, but he had to go out and show it. And there's still three regular season games left, but I don't know how you can sit here and say what he's done in the, the four games and the five weeks since he took over in this role. Uh, I don't know how you can sit here and say, like, it hasn't been enough. He's done everything you could possibly ask other than Wisconsin not being particularly good against a Michigan State team. And that game still went to double overtime. And obviously Michigan State just beat Illinois. But the players love him. <laughs> and I know that you can't you can't base your decisions strictly on the players because if that were the case, Paul Christ wouldn't have been fired. But just look at the way they've rallied as a team, the consistency with which they're playing. Um, they're playing hard. And that's the thing that Leonard keeps coming back to is that the effort is there every single game. They're now four for four in that regard. And you certainly could not say that earlier in the season. So Jimmy cooks, man, (laughs) just watch the Twitter videos when he comes into the locker room, the entire team is waiting for him and they're all celebrating. That says an awful lot to me about what this team wants. And and so do their words. And and that Jim Ray DK basically said, I'd be shocked (laughs) if he didn't get this job. And I think a lot of us feel that way, but and I mean, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, like you can throw out a lot of potential candidates at other successful programs. And Chris McIntosh has hired a search firm, but I don't necessarily know what's happening other than maybe there's some back channel discussions to see who might be interested. I don't see any situation at this point where Jim Leonard is is not named the permanent head coach. I think it would be the most shocking thing <laughs> that's happened in my time covering this program if he's not the guy. What is the most shocking thing that's happened at this point covering the program? As an aside. Well, Paul Chris, being fi- Paul Chris being fired when he was, I think, okay. was stunning. Um, but Brett Bielema leaving. I mean, it's the Brett Bielema-Gary Anderson combo. In retrospect, the entire Gary Anderson storyline and where he's <laughs> been since then, uh, it kind of makes sense that he would make moves that have you scratching your head. But at the time, it was like, wait a minute. You've been here two years. You're going to Oregon State and you never <laughs> visited because you said you felt like you had a calling to go there. Um, obviously, there was more going on in terms of wanting, not getting the players that he wanted in at Wisconsin. But that's the list for me. It's all coaching related. Um, maybe the Joel Stave, uh, you know, yips, uh, yips situation because of how, <laughs> again, Gary Anderson handled it or didn't handle it with a uh, conversation with reporters saying that he was injured, and then later saying, uh, is he injured? No. <laughs> Should I have said that? No. No. But, yeah. uh, it's, it's a short list. Yeah, because it's not a program that usually has these great swings of emotion one way or the other, right? Like, it's no. it's it's very even-keeled and, and right down the middle normally. And so when it goes outside, like we saw with Paul Christ or what Brett Bielema did, yeah, it's, uh, if, it's up there. If I could add one thing, that's something I've been thinking about. Um I don't know how many other people who would be in Chris McIntosh's position would have made the decision that he did at that time. Like, you know, if Barry Alvarez was still AD, I think Paul Chris is still the head coach. I'm not, 
I'm not trying to knock one and say one's better or worse, but I, to me, it took some serious intestinal fortitude to make that decision, knowing you were going to get a lot of blowback. And yet at the same time, we may look back here and say that ultimately was the right decision to move the program forward. I can't say that definitively right now, but it's something I've been thinking about for, for him 15 months into the job to make that decision when he did, uh, that is uh, a big boy decision, whether it's right or wrong, what we'll have to see. Well, I'm, I'm wondering when you talk about uh, making that decision, if we're to believe the, the football scoop article, when he's, that was not the plan going in. And so it was a big decision. Was it a decision that was thought through as much as maybe one of those decisions should be? I think that's a question that we only have speculation on because we're not going to know fully how that went down. Um, And again, it's speculation, but if you go into that, not thinking that's going to be the case and you have a lengthy conversation with Paul, I am left to speculate that perhaps that conversation centered on McIntosh thinking that certain things needed to change and that not being agreed upon from the other side. I mean, that that's, that's the way that I look at this. And again, I fully acknowledge this is speculation. Um, and in our line of work, I think sometimes that can be, it can be tough. Uh, that, this is why we talk about things and I don't write it, I suppose. But that's kind of what makes me think that if, if you go into conversation and that's not the plan, then what happened in that conversation to make you change your decision? That's what, that's my thought on it. Yeah. I'll close this discussion on Jim Leonard by relaying Nick Herbig's words on Jim Leonard and was asked about the full-time job. And he said, he had a long answer, but at the end of it, he said, it blows my mind that he's not the head coach yet. So that's, I think, the feeling in the locker room. And that doesn't surprise me. Um, the only thing that would shock me more uh, than anything that's happened so far with, with Paul Christ or Brett Bielman, anything like that, the biggest shock ever would be, as you said, Jim Leonard not getting the job. So that, that to me, would be, yes, that would be it. All right, let's switch into uh, some Twitter questions here, Jesse. Uh, all right, we'll start with this one. Will says, the last drive of the first half made me weep for joy. Paul Chris would have run the clock out, left three p- points off the board. Hire Leonard now. I guess that's more of a statement, but I, I would ask you, do you think that, that he would have just done that? I, I guess I don't think he would have. Maybe in those conditions. I guess that's probably a, up for debate, but I think in a lot of those situations, it would have gone the exact same way, but you tell me. Well, for context here, there was 2.07 left in the second quarter when Wisconsin took possession at its own 32-yard line. I think a lot of drives in that situation are dictated by what happens in the first couple of plays. Braylon Allen ran up the middle for seven yards, and then Graham completed a 21-yard pass to Keon says Lewis. So at that point, you're at the Maryland 40-yard line, and then you go, and then you're going for it. So I, I no, I don't necessarily think it would have been substantially different. I think we can... This is the speculation train going here, but as we're having as we're having <laughs> chugga, chugga. conversations, things just keep coming up in my head. The thing I do wonder about is what would the offense look like if Paul Christ were still here? And everything that we've seen, or a lot of what we've seen, it makes me think that you know maybe Bobby Ingram. <laughs> certainly, Bobby Ingram has more fully got the reins to himself here, um, and we will never know how involved Paul was in calling every play and what the preparation looked like. But there are certainly different looks that they're providing offensively. And that would that's honestly my bigger question. Not necessarily would they have 
scored or gone for it on the last drive with two minutes left. It's just what the offense looks like in general. I'd like to think they would have uh, uh, tried to score. Yes, for sure. Um, off of that question, Mark says, do you see Bobby Engram being retained if Leonard is made the head coach? This is a really hard question, and I think it's if and when Jim gets the job, that is one of the first questions that I have, and obviously won't have that answer until Leonard's able to process things and figure out what he wants to do. He's making a strong case for it with the offense being a little bit more dynamic. Again, the game against Maryland, notwithstanding for understandable reasons, but I don't know what their relationship is like. I mean, when we talk to Leonard, it's pretty clear. He's still calling the defense. That's the side of the ball that he's focused on. And he's really leaving it up. It sounds like to the offensive staff to manage everything over there. So I mean, Bobby Ingram has a lot on his plate and this offense has responded. So I think he's doing everything in his power to uh, his focus is on winning week to week, but in the process, everything in his power to potentially retain the job. I don't know the answer. Like my, my speculation train is what, what would they do? What could they bring in a Sean Lewis type? Um, And I, I mentioned that in a story that I ran last week of just, somebody with a, a little bit different philosophy who's got ties to Wisconsin, who's had a lot of success. He's, he's a head coach at Kent state now, but could make twice as much money if he chose to become a coordinator at Wisconsin. And maybe you do something that looks much different at Wisconsin, but still predicated on the run. So I think Jim's going to have a lot of options, but Ingram is building a case is what I would say. And five games into the season, I don't think I would have said that. Yeah. I know we, we, Jim Leonard wants to take the long-term approach when he gets a job, assuming he gets a job, we'll have a long-term approach to this. And yet when you look at next year and you look at the schedule and you look at the returning talent on offense the, that we know of right now, it's, that's assuming nobody transfers and that's certainly not going to happen. There's going to be guys that transfer. Do you really want to rock the boat and install a brand new offense? When you look at the schedule, you look at the talent on both sides of the ball, they're going to, this is probably their best chance uh, to win the Big Ten West and get to the, you know, challenge for the Big Ten title. Would you want to overhaul that entire thing? And again, Jim Leonard has to worry about the long term future. I'm just looking at 2023. It's a totally fair question because the other thing that's worth acknowledging is if Leonard did do that and Graham Mertz is still here and is a four year starter, he would have four offensive coordinators and four quarterbacks coach and four coaches in four seasons. That's insane to think yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and he's having the best year of his career. Um, so I think that has to be uh, in in the, the conversation and the discussion if and when Leonard is the coach. But it's a tough line to walk because if he believes that there is someone else out there who is better for the long term and you can get him, then you bring him in and hope that that improves next year too. So there's a lot to weigh. Yeah. Uh, Joe says uh, the insistence on passing in the second half yesterday, product of Braylon Allen being hurt or suspect felt like forcing it in poor weather with the game firmly in control. I mean, they ran the ball 40 plus times. I, I don't have a huge issue with it again. I think there were stretches of the second half where it was at least possible to throw the ball and they wanted to try and take advantage of that when they could. I don't have a big issue with it, I guess, but I'm, I'm open to your thoughts on it. Uh, I thought that they should have run the ball. Like there were there were times there, and I know Jim Leonard 
kind of talked about it with decision-making when it came to kicking the field goal or not, you know, going for it on fourth and five, there were some, like there was a stretch of possessions there by both teams that were, it was deep in Maryland's territory and, and they just, neither team, it was like they're playing patty cake and it just, they couldn't, neither offense could do anything. And I felt like Wisconsin in that situation probably should have just run it uh, instead of trying to pass it. But again, uh, it's irrelevant, but that, that was, that's kind of where my mind was at when it, comes to that uh d asks so who is the third running back if allen goes down i know wisconsin isn't just rolling with garendo <laughs> can i say skylar bell or vinnie anthony because they're the ones <laughs> getting jet sweeps <laughs> that's a yeah. mystery i think my initial response would be julius davis but we have not seen him uh we get a lot of questions about what's going on there and uh, i think as i was telling you after the game this is three position coaches now who have deemed Julius to not be at the level that can get in the rotation. So he's kind of in a purgatory, but I have to imagine if they lost another running back that he would be next in line. Brady Shipper is the other one, but that's it. Yeah. I, uh, I just don't know. <laughs> I think whoever's not hurt will get the 40 carries. So I guess <laughs> just going to carry 29 times. Yeah, it's it seems pretty clear that which is surprising because they counted on Shipper a bunch last year. Maybe that was a Paul Chris thing because um, he yeah, played a possible. Bunch. I mean, he played a lot, or maybe not even a Paul Chris, or a Paul Chris thing. Maybe it was a Gary Brown thing where he liked them and wanted to use them and just didn't trust the other guys. But he has not seen the field on offense yet this year. I don't think I could be wrong on that. He may have gotten in late in blowouts, but I don't think so. Quite the quite the drop for him. Um, super K or no, we'll go, we'll do, we'll do uniforms here, Jesse. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hate, this is from our guy, Vitaly Pasetsky. He says, I hate red on red makes us look like Rutgers with white helmets. Do you oh, agree? So with that's, that? uh, I thought that was just a statement. I mean, it was a statement, but I'm asking <laughs> you, do you agree with it? Cause there's some other, I mean, there's some I, others. Here's the because, thing. Yeah. Go ahead. I didn't play for Wisconsin in the Barry Alvarez years like Vitaly, uh, I don't really care what Wisconsin wears. Give me the combinations. Give me, I'm here for all the combinations. You know what? The black basketball uniforms that the Badgers are going to wear are awesome. I love it. I'm here for it. Just give me all the combos. They want to wear all black for football. Let's do it. We can talk about the disaster that was Gary Anderson, but the uniform uniform combinations that he uh, brought with him, and they need to be brought back. Like they, they need that. They only have so many options here with their uniforms right now. And this this kind of goes to a, a different question from uh, our guy, T.M. Fitzpatrick. He says, will Wisconsin football have black alternate jerseys next year? We saw the players. We saw Nick Herbig, who's not going to be here, uh, plead <laughs> plead for them. Um, we know how big of a uniform freak Braylon Allen is. We, you know, Graham Mertz the same way. Uh, I should eh, maybe not as much, but we know th- there's some leaders on this team that desperately want uh, a few more options. I don't know about next year, but I have to feel like they're coming. I won't ever rule it out. You know, if you get a young coach in here who's hip to the game and understands that this stuff matters to players, then then you do it. The only thing that would be weird is that when we go to practice, the only people wearing black are the quarterbacks, which means that they can't get hit. So I'll be watching thinking that the other team will just not sack the opposed the, the Wisconsin quarterback. So I'm going to have to wrap my head around that. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You do you do like the black uniforms from the basketball team. You said they're awesome, right? 
I'm all about it, man. I, I, I know some people were like, oh, it looks like, I don't know, Maryland, Maryland, the Bulls or whatever. But let's have some fun. There, there were some definite Chicago Bulls, Orlando Magic vibes to those just because they they had the pinstripes um, in the 90s. But they look good to me. Um, I like I, I like changes. And I certainly I know that people like black is not in Wisconsin's color scheme. I don't care. Uh, it looks good. So stop it. Uh, Malden Badger says, how awful was Maryland's offensive line? No push on running plays, ignoring a rusher even when the Badgers rushed for and a freshman center acting like a freshman center. Um, they stunk. How much of that was Wisconsin's uh, defensive line, do you think? And just Wisconsin's front in general. I think it's a combination of everything. Um, yeah, the snap from the center when Oof. it was like you just rolled it on the ground. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never I've never been a center, so it's easy for me to sit here and armchair quarterback the next day. But, uh, yeah. It was rough. I mean, the D-line played a role. Wisconsin's defense was outstanding, and the elements were not in favor of a team that likes to spread it out and throw the ball. Everything lined up perfectly for Wisconsin to win that game, and that's what happened. Um, all right. Chris says, this going back to Jim Leonard, he's thinking about why they haven't already named Jim Leonard coach. Could it be that right now the pressure of what the staff looks like next season is all on McIntosh? If hire is announced, all the pressure goes on Leonard with who on the staff stays next year. Well, this is my thought process on the situation. And I think we've probably both gotten asked a lot of questions about this is he's doing his due diligence. Right. And I don't think it's the end of the world. If you wait until the end of the regular season, because it's, it's seven games to show what you can do as the head coach. And some may say, you know, it's not a legit audition because he's clearly been the guy from the outset, but what would happen if let's say, Right now, they named Jim Leonard the coach, and the next three games, Wisconsin loses by 24 points every game. I, I'm not saying that it doesn't mean Leonard shouldn't be the guy for the future, but I think that there would be bad optics there. Um, and the timeline on this is important, too. Like, the last regular season game is November 26th, so the Office of Human Resources, the UW-Madison uh, policy, is that for coaches – the job posting period is seven days. And that's noteworthy because there are a lot of other positions that they're 30 business days or, or 30 days, calendar days, excuse me, and some are two weeks. So seven days is the fewest that you can have. But even if you do it around that time, the transfer window starts December 5th. The early signing period is December 21st. So I think you have enough time, but I don't think it goes any further out than the day after or two days after the, the game against Minnesota because you've got to make those decisions. So I can understand both sides, but I, I don't necessarily fault Chris McIntosh for taking the time here, whatever may be happening with him hiring the search firm, but just to see, give Jim Leonard the full seven games um, to see what he does. And look, you may lose a recruit or two. Obviously, they lost one. Tretch Kakahuna, the wide receiver at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, decided to decommit. But that may have happened. I mean, that may have happened anyway. This certainly didn't help the situation. If you lose one or two commits, I don't think that's the end of the world if you want to make the right decision for the long-term future. So that's my thought processes on it. Like I, I totally understand people wanting this decision to happen right now, but I also recognize that in the interest of optics and just making sure you make the right decision, you, you don't want to make the wrong decision here. You let this play out for a couple more weeks and you'll still have time to have everything else fall in line. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah. Uh, another question uh, from super K kind of builds on this a little bit. It, 
he says, do the powers, and I believe he's talking about Macintosh, realize that there's some risk building if they don't just move ahead with Leonard? Do you agree that there's there's risk in not moving ahead with Leonard right now? Risk in terms of not making the decision now and making it three weeks from today? Yes. Well, I think the risk is what I laid out, that you, you're you in a holding pattern with recruiting. I mean, you're not in a holding pattern with what's going to happen to your players because those guys don't have – now that the window has passed, that's been a month since Paul Christ was fired, those guys can't leave until December 5th. So they're here through the end of the regular season, no matter what. And I, I, I think that's, that's the risk right now is, is this recruiting window, but guys who are interested in coming here, I think are willing to wait the three weeks, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's close with this. A little bit of a shakeup in the Big Ten West yesterday. An unexpected Oof. shake, an unexpected shakeup in the Big Ten West. Michigan State, a week after uh, an absolute debacle on the field and off the field at Michigan, goes into Illinois shorthanded and pulls off a win, despite Mel Tucker doing his best to make sure it didn't happen. Um, they pull off the win. They beat Illinois, dropping the Illini to four and two. So the Big Ten standings now go Illinois at four and two. And then a four-way tie for second with Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, and Minnesota, all three and three. Illinois, for what it's worth, has a tiebreaker on three of those teams. Iowa already beat Iowa, already beat Wisconsin, already beat Minnesota. They play Purdue. Uh, Aiden O'Connell looking very much like he did against Wisconsin, against Iowa. So they're going to need Aiden O'Connell of uh, yesteryear to come back and uh, make some plays against Illinois. However, it's now not out of the realm of, realm of possibility that, that Wisconsin could get there. Was Illinois, there are, there's tiebreakers, and I don't have the mental fortitude to jump into that yet, unless you have. Uh, I'm going to let Ben I'm going to let ben Kenny do it. It's kind of his thing. He wants to do that and do it on the show for Tuesday. But what it stands as right now, it, Illinois would win the tiebreaker for with, with three of those teams if they were to tie at the end. If there's multiple teams tied, it gets down into winning percentage against conference and all that stuff. Again, I'm not going to get into it, but what are the chances Wisconsin does end up in Indianapolis, Jesse? Chances are low, but not impossible. And it would be the most insane comeback maybe ever (laughs) (laughs) for for Wisconsin. I look at it like this. Illinois has got to lose twice. Uh, You can do all the mental gymnastics about what happens if it's a four-way tie for first place, but Illinois has three games left plays Purdue at home on Saturday, then on the road at Michigan, and then on the road at Northwestern. Even though Northwestern somehow stayed in the game against Ohio State for a really long time, I don't don't see Illinois losing that game, but it's possible. So I feel like Purdue's got to – I feel like Illinois has got to lose three in a row here right now and not leave it up to the regular season finale. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. And the thing is, with Wisconsin, the three games that the Badgers have left, two of them are on the road – Iowa, Nebraska, and then the regular season finale against Minnesota. They certainly all feel winnable to me. They also all feel losable, (laughs) which is why the Big Ten West is the logjam that it is and not particularly good this year when you've got four teams tied at three and three. I I wouldn't be astonished if Wisconsin goes six and three in the Big Ten this year. I think I would be surprised if Illinois lost two more games. I mean, certainly the way they lost to Michigan State has you questioning a lot of things. But if I'm mistaken, I don't I don't think there's been a three loss division winner since they split into the East West. 
And that may be the case this year because that's just how bad the, the West division is. But it's wild to think that this is an actual possibility. While it may seem implausible, it's not impossible. Yeah. Again, I, I have, I said rel- religiously the last couple of weeks that, that the only team Illinois was going to lose to was, was Michigan. So stop thinking about it. Cause as long as they have Tommy DeVito under, under center, it's not going to matter, but it did definitely matter yesterday. Uh, Jalen Berger, a great game uh, for Michigan State. Their defense did enough and to get that win. And again, I Mel Tucker tried to give it away at the end, but um, Illinois wouldn't take it. And Brett Bielma, I believe they were 17 and a half point favorites in that game. So not great from Brett. Uh, him and Michigan State have some history and it hasn't necessarily always been good for, <laughs> for Brett Bielma. But early odds for next week that I'm seeing right now from Caesars. What do you think it is, Jesse? And I say it's uh, even. It is not even. It's Wisconsin by one. So it might be I mean, even by the end of the week. It, it might be. And it might be Iowa might end up being favored, which would break a significant streak in Wisconsin history. I don't know if you I'm sure you know this one, but Wisconsin has not been an th- underdog to any team not named Ohio State since the 2018 pinstripe bowl. Amazing. When they were when they were underdogs to Miami that year. Uh, I got one question on here. If Wisconsin ends up the pinstripe bolt, am I going? I, I don't want to. Hey, um, if, if the company that you work for is paying for it, I won't speak for you. I'm there. They gave a very nice winter beanie last time in 2018. <laughs> I wore it to, to snow blow the yard for about a year. Uh, yeah. Not a particularly enjoyable press box viewing experience as it is open air and late December in New York is not my idea of a great time, but I can't complain. We're there for free. Well, you can't complain. I I guess I will instead. Uh, No, I'm kidding. We'll be back next week. Jesse, we'll uh, meet in Iowa and and see what uh, the Badgers can do against the Hawkeyes and uh, the pig, right? Playing for, no, what is it? The the steer? What is that? Is Is it the bronze bull? There it is. Yes. Uh, the Heartland Trophy. So three trophy games through these next three weeks, two and a half, as I said last week. Don't really count the that monstrosity at Nebraska really as a trophy, and I don't think the players do either. But either way, Wisconsin looking to keep it going and, and maybe go three straight wins as, as they head to Iowa City. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.